So uh, we're starting a new message series today, and I am so excited about this. Uh, Over the next three weeks, we're going to spend our time talking about generosity. What do you think about what comes to mind when you hear that word generosity? You know, at any time that giving or generosity is talked about in the church, I'm well aware that there's going to be a number of different responses. There's going to be some positive uh, responses, there's going to be some negative responses, and there's going to be responses everywhere in between. Um, But this is my goal for this series, that over the next few weeks, uh, my goal is not to uh, tell you specifically how to be generous or how to give, Um, but to open God's word together so that we can better understand God's heart when it comes to the area of money, possessions, uh, giving, and generosity. So our approach for the next three weeks is going to be to study God's word, and then we're going to provide some practical application um, that you can apply immediately, take with you the same day, and we're going to get excited as a church to see how God has positioned the church and called the church to really lead the way when it comes to generosity. Now, in the book of Acts, so in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, um, the words of Jesus remind us that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts chapter 20, verse 35 says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And these words are going to serve as the foundation for our series on generosity. Now, if you're anything like me, you love to hear a good story about how generosity has affected the life of another person. And this week, um, I was reminded about an incredible story about generosity. It's a story um, that made its way across our country. Um, This story has been told many times. I don't know if it's been told um, in our church, but I'm going to share it with you today. It's a story about former uh, St. Louis Rams, New York Giants, and Arizona Cardinals quarterback, Kurt Warner. So Kurt Warner was a two-time NFL MVP quarterback. You, if you're anything into football, football like this part of the country is for sure. I see Packers jerseys and shirts throughout the auditorium this morning. I, I did have a dad fail last week, by the way, and I'm just going to throw this in there. My son wanted to dress up as a football player, and I let him get a Packers jersey and helmet. And uh, so that's my dad fail for the week. So <laughs> bring it on. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Next week, we're talking about generous forgiveness. So, (laughs) but what you may not remember about Kurt Warner is that prior to his career in the NFL, um, he worked a night shift at a very low paying job and uh, he had to collect food stamps just to feed his family. His family's really large. They have seven kids. Um, But all of that obviously changed when he made it to the NFL and then specifically Um, when the Rams won the World Series in 2000. So um, today, Kurt, what did I say? Baseball's on right now. The World Series is on right now. It's America's sport. Come on, guys. Come on. Work with me this morning. All right. Should we have everyone stand and just stretch a little bit? and We'll we'll do it. (laughs) Super Bowl. We don't have a pro football team in Oklahoma. Come on, you got to throw me a bone today. So his life changed, though, when he made it 
to the Super Bowl, when the Rams won the Super Bowl in 2000. So today, uh, Kurt and his family, they're actually known as one of the most generous and charitable families who had a career in the NFL. Not in baseball, in the NFL. <laughs> so sometime back, Kurt and his wife, uh, Brenda, they started a family tradition. I love this idea. And it's a tradition that made a huge impact on a lot of people. So um, Kurt calls it the restaurant game. So the night before he would head out for an away game, he would take his wife and his kids out to eat. They wanted to spend time together, and he introduced, it, introduced this game called the, the restaurant game. So once they were seated, Kurt and his wife would select one of their kids, and they would say, we want you to scan the restaurant, look for the right table, just like a quarterback would scan uh, the field looking for an open receiver. All right, So they had a target in mind, and when one of their kids would identify the table that they wanted to select— Um, Kurt would ask the waitress or the waiter to add that table's bill to their own. So on any given pregame night, a random family would eat for free because of the generosity of another family. And when they interviewed him, and this, this article ran, I think it was in 2008, they asked him why they would do something like this. And you might think, well, he's got millions of dollars, he's an NFL quarterback, it's easy for them to do, but that would really be missing the point. Um, Kurt said that he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that his family was blessed beyond measure. Blessed beyond measure. And that's why they wanted to be generous and extend generosity to others. You know, stories like this, I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, they're inspiring. And, and they're even contagious. You hear something like that, you experience something like that, and it kind of motivates you to do the same. But stories like this also have a scriptural flavor because of what God's word teaches about the topics of of possessions, uh, money, and generosity. I don't know if you knew this, but in the Bible, you're going to find about 500 verses that deal with prayer. Prayer is extremely important, right? Amen? Prayer is important. I would say, I would go as far as to say that a healthy church is a praying church. So you're going to find about 500 verses on prayer. You're going to find less than 500 verses that teach about the topic of faith. We talk about faith almost every single week. It's important to have a personal and a sincere faith, a personal and sincere relationship with Jesus. But you're going to find less than 500 verses that teach on that topic. Now, it sounds like a lot, but the point is this. You're going to find over 2,000 verses throughout God's word that talk about money and or possessions in some way. And to get exact, I believe there's about 2,300 and some change. In fact, in the New Testament, uh, when you look at the 38 parables that Jesus taught, 16 of those parables deal with money or possessions in some way. You begin to get a picture from Genesis to Revelation that God's plan for his people is that they would be a people that would lead the way in generosity, that they would be known for generosity. For us to have a correct um, view of biblical generosity, though, I believe we have to start at the source. We have to start with the greatest example that we have for what generosity is and what it looks like. And that's going to be our first point for this morning, if you're you're taking notes. And that is that um, our God is a generous God. Our God is a generous God. So our, our understanding of what it means to actually be generous... And how we're called to live generous lives starts with God. In Genesis chapter 1, we read about the creation of the universe and how God gave life 
to all creatures. And then you read a little further and you come to the creation of man and woman. And we read about how God breathed the breath of life into his most prized creation. And then you skip a lot and you go to the New Testament in John chapter 3. Now, you could spend an eternity just seeing all the examples of, of God's generosity between Genesis and the book of John in the New Testament. But when we get to John chapter 3, we read about how Jesus gave new life to all mankind, to anyone who would receive it. John 3.16 is, is one of the most well-known verses, the most well-known verses because it's spoken about and because people memorize it, and for good reason. John 3.16 says, For this is how God loved the world. This isn't, remember, we've talked about love a little bit lately. This isn't just an affection kind of love. He, it's a love that's demonstrated through action. And John says that this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So giving and generosity is part of God's character. It's part of who he is. And I would say this morning that one of the reasons that we worship and that we we celebrate together is because we serve a generous God. Amen? Our God is a generous God. And our understanding of generosity and how we're called to live generous lives, it always starts with him. The second point that I want to talk about this morning, if you're taking notes, is that generosity is contagious. Generosity is contagious. You know, growing in generosity has been an ongoing part of our faith journey as, as a family. And I'm sure it has been for you as well. You know, when Faith and I first got married, um, I'll be honest with you, giving and generosity was the scary part of our faith. Something that we didn't want to face because we knew that it, it meant giving something up that we thought we needed. Now, we've always known that Christians are, are called to be generous, that they're called to give. But it really wasn't until we witnessed the generosity being lived out in the lives of the people around us that we started to notice a growing desire in our own lives uh, to be generous. I've heard some excellent sermons on the topic of generosity and, and giving. I've also heard some bad ones as well. I've been part of some very convicting conversations about generosity. But again, it was always head knowledge. It was always head knowledge until God used the example of others to help begin the process of moving those truths from my head to my heart. One story that has impacted my life and my wife's life, as well as thousands of other Christians, um, is the story of Life Church, uh, a church that started as, as a church plant in Oklahoma City. So today, uh, Life Church is considered the largest church in America. They have about 80,000 people attending at 33 campuses across 10 states every single week. Now, obviously, with numbers that large, it, it varies. But the point is this, they, they weren't always that large, and they haven't always had the resources that they have today. But that's never stopped this group of, of Jesus followers from leading the way in generosity. So Life Church was founded in 1996, and it was founded by 40 uh, followers of Christ who met together in a two-car garage. 
That's where they started meeting, a two-car garage. And this two-car garage was equipped with a borrowed overhead projector that they would use for worship. So can, you, can anyone remember those days? Before you had the bulb and the screen, you had an overhead projector and someone would change the slides you know, for the worship songs. That, that used to be a thing. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? <laughs> those were the dark days. But... <laughs> So that's all they had. And their starting budget as a church um, was $19.99 because that's what they spent to go get two uh, construction lights that would light up the space where they were worshiping together. Uh, between 1996 and 2006, so a span of about 10 years, um, Life Church grew at a rapid pace, um, reaching hundreds of people every single month with the good news of Jesus. And that hasn't stopped today. By 2006, um, other churches had started to, to reach out to Life Church, asking if they could purchase uh, some of their resources, like their sermon manuscripts, their uh, kids' curriculum, their small group curriculum. They wanted to do this so they could use it in their own churches throughout the week. And because many of these churches who were reaching out, they were smaller in size, and they lacked the resources needed to have consistent ministry from week to week. So maybe they didn't have a full-time pastor or a bivocational pastor, or maybe no one on staff at all. A lot of these churches didn't have a children's ministry, and they didn't know where to start or how to start. This is common, really, with larger churches who have larger budgets and larger staffs. Smaller churches will reach out to use things like curriculum and and other resources. So at this point, again, in 2006, Life Church was at a crossroads. Um, They could find a way to package and sell all of the things they'd come up with, all of their resources, really just doing what many other churches had done who had gone before them. Or they could do something that was unheard of. So generosity, when the church was founded, was not a value in the church. It wasn't a value. It wasn't something that helped them achieve their mission as a church. But in 2006, um, they had adopted the value of irrational generosity. That was what they decided they were going to be known for, was irrational generosity. So they decided to put their money where their mouth was and really lead the way as a church in irrational generosity. And they were going to do that by giving away 100% of the church's resources for free. Uh, their, their sermons, their, their kids' curriculum, their small group curriculum, everything that they had spent money and time and energy creating, they were going to give away for free to other churches. This is incredible because to this day, over 160,000 churches across the world have benefited in some way from the irrational generosity through Life Church. Uh, today, they've given away over $7 million in free resources to other local churches, uh, partnering with them, helping them uh, grow in their own communities. That same year, again, in 2006, um, they also created what's called Church Online. They were the first church to do this. And today, Church Online reaches over 5 million people with the gospel every single year. Now, here's the crazy part of this. That took uh, millions of dollars to create, um, thousands of man hours, a lot of resources. Today, um, that same software platform that Life Church create, has created to stream their services online every single week is now being given away for free to any church who wants to stream their own service live. Just for free, no strings attached. So this morning in the United States alone, 
Um, there's about 8,700 8, churches that are streaming, streaming their services live for free because of the generosity of Life Church. One other fun fact, um, if you have a smartphone with you today or if you have a tablet and if you've downloaded the YouVersion Bible app, I know a lot of people have that. Just raise your hands if you have that this morning. Yeah, a lot. A lot. I would say it's probably a quarter of the room maybe, maybe more. If you've downloaded the YouVersion Bible app and you use that for daily Bible reading um, or, or devotionals or, or whatever it is, you're, you're reading from, number one, the most popular Bible app in the App Store or the Google Play Store, but you're reading from an app that has been downloaded over a quarter of a billion times, over 250 million times. And guess who created this app? Life Church. And guess how much this app costs for us? Nothing. Life Church's story has impacted my life and my wife's life in, in a huge way over the years. I, I remember being early on in ministry, being a young youth minister, I knew nothing. I still know nothing. And I remember sitting in my offices just looking for ideas, and I would listen to Craig Rochelle's sermons. He's the pastor of Life Church, just to get inspired and, and to get ideas. And today, I use the Bible app every day almost for personal Bible reading. I pull up the Bible on my tablet just to help with sermon preparation. I use it every single day, just about. Life Church's story is just one way. That God has given my family a greater vision for how generosity can impact the lives of other people for Jesus. And I'll be honest, whether it's the example of Life Church or the handful of other men and women that have been in our lives at certain points, the generosity of others has been contagious. The way families have chosen to, to bless our family or how we've seen others serve through the local church, it's contagious. And it completely begins to change your perspective on, on generosity. When you learn about giving and generosity throughout God's word, and then you see it lived out in the lives of other people, it gives you, again, a whole new perspective on the purpose of generosity. It gives you a whole new perspective on how God has created us to worship him through giving. Generosity is contagious. The third point that I want to talk about today is this. God wants his church to grow in generosity. God wants his church to grow in generosity. You know, God wants us to grow in generosity collectively as a church, and he wants us to grow as individuals and, and as families. In this series, we're going to spend time talking about both of these things. We're going to talk about the church growing collectively in generosity, and we're going to talk about God getting a hold of our lives and being stretched and, and, and grown in the area of generosity in our families. Um, but for the remainder of our time today, I just want to spend a few minutes talking about growing in generosity as the church. So you should have 2 Corinthians chapter 8 um, marked in your Bible. And we're going to use this really as the main text for today. I'm going to give you a little backstory before we read this, because I think it's important to understand um, what Paul is saying and who he's talking about and um, why this topic is relevant for, for our lives today. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we read about a story that the Apostle Paul passed on, he shared with Christians who were living in Corinth. See, Paul was trying to inspire the Corinthian Christians to give generously, uh, specifically to the impoverished believers who were living in Jerusalem, 
Jerusalem was kind of the the hub uh, for Christianity at this time. So to motivate them to give, he told them about a group of people known as the Macedonians. So he's talking to the Corinthians, and he tells them about this other group, this other group of Christians known as the Macedonians. And the reason the Macedonians were so moving to Paul's own life was because they themselves, you can't miss this, this is kind of, this is kind of the big picture, they themselves were very poor. They were going through a, an extremely difficult season, yet they were extremely generous. So Paul is really just bragging about this church that is exceeding in generosity to this other church to really help them catch a vision for, for, for generosity. Second Corinthians chapter eight, uh, verses one through three. This is what we read. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. And listen to this. Paul says, they are being tested by many troubles. This, this is the storms of life that we've talked about. And they're very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy. This is that kind of joy that the world can't take away because you're in Christ. Because you know Jesus. He says they're, they're filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed. It's, it's made itself visible in rich generosity. And then Paul says something that just doesn't make sense. It's that upside down living. It's opposite of what the world would tell us to do and how to live. He says, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. So Paul is sharing this, this incredible story about sacrificial giving. These Christians in Macedonia, they were very poor. They were going through a difficult season, but they recognized a need. They recognized a need. And they were willing to do whatever it would take to meet that need for the glory of God and for the good of God's people. When we read the story, we don't know how much they gave. And I'm going to be honest with you, that doesn't matter. As we're going to talk about generosity through this series, we're going to talk about how the point of generosity is never the amount, but the why and the how behind our giving. We have stories in the New Testament where people were able just to give a couple coins, but it was sacrificial giving. And we have examples of people giving truckloads almost, but it really wasn't from the right motive. It really wasn't an overflow from a generous heart. This group of Christians gave from a place of joy. They gave from their own free will because of what God had done in their lives. And I believe that Paul is sharing this story with us for a reason. See, there was something special about this group who had decided to step out in faith. They had decided that they were going to lead the way with irrational generosity. Giving not only what they could afford, but far more. Paul describes it as a work of God in the church. That God showed up and did something amazing. Let's look at verse 4. It gets even, for me, more convicting about the attitude of this, this body of believers in Macedonia. He says, they begged us. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. So this group of Christians, it says they begged. Some of your translations will say they pleaded for the opportunity to give. 
They wanted to give generously because they wanted to further the mission of God. Generosity was a value of theirs that would help them accomplish the mission that God was giving them. Now, how different is this from what we see in the American church today? I mean, what we read in 2 Corinthians 8 to what we see across the landscape of our country today. I'll just give you a couple of examples. You know, when when someone is called to go on a mission trip or when a group of students want to go to camp and learn more about Christ or when there's a family in the church or in the community who is in need, what we typically see are, are gimmicks that help us try to raise the funds needed to meet the need. We'll, we'll do things like fundraising. Or, or we'll see, you turn your TV on and you'll see televangelists saying, if you send me $100, I'll send you a mug and a t-shirt. It's a gimmick. There's an exchange. It's, it's, it's not biblical. A lot of churches will even do like a, a two or three year commitment card for families to sign as a pledge saying, this is how much I'm going to give. And then the church can hold them accountable for that. But what we see from these Macedonian Christians is different. This is not what we see. They didn't have to use the gimmicks to try and raise the funds to meet this need. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I don't believe that fundraisers are always wrong. I think there's a place for them. I, I don't think that commitment cards are always wrong. I think there's a place for them. But there's an important lesson for the church to learn from this story today. See, Paul tells us that they begged and they pleaded for the opportunity to give. Here's the point for this. They didn't have to be asked. They didn't have to be asked. This group of Christians came together and gave from a place of joy because of what Jesus had done in their lives. There were no gimmicks. They just gave. Verse 5 says, again, it goes deeper and deeper. He says, they even did more than we hoped. And this is how they were able to give, church. Listen to this. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord. That was their first action. They gave them their lives to the Lord. And then he says, and then to us, just as God wanted them to do. So the question that goes through my mind is how and why were these Christians able to give in this way? How and why were they able to do this? Well, this kind of generosity starts by giving our lives completely to the Lord. The ministry of giving and the ministry of generosity starts by giving your life to the Lord. By recognizing that my life is not my own. See, this group of Christians, they understood what it meant to deny self, to take up their cross, and to follow Jesus daily. Their generosity was simply a response. It was just a response to what God had done in their lives, as well as an act of obedience to God's calling in the church. Let's look at verses 6 through 8, and we'll wrap up this story. Paul says, so we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place. So he's, again, he's talking to the, the Christians in Corinth. He says, who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many different ways. He says, you excel in your faith and your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us. I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. Some of your translations will say in the generous act of giving. 
And then listen to Paul's words here. This is important. He says, I'm not commanding you to do this. I'm not holding it over anybody's head. There's no gimmicks here. He's saying, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the generosity of the other churches. It's one of the reasons I told the story of Life Church this morning. It's not because I think we should be Life Church. It's because we can look at the example of other Christians and other churches because really there's one church. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We can look at the example of those who've gone before us and use that as motivation and encouragement to give generously. That's what Paul's doing here. You know, from the first day that we arrived at OCC, I'll just be honest with you, we've seen from a front row seat firsthand how generous this church really is. This is a generous church. And I've heard stories about how God has done amazing things through this body of believers over the years because of your response and generosity. But we just got done going through the book of Galatians and talking about the fruit of the Spirit and how we never really arrive in any of these areas. That growing in the fruit of the Spirit is something that God the Holy Spirit continues to grow in us our entire lives. I believe that when we talk about generosity, it's the same way. We never arrive when it comes to generosity. Generosity is a lifelong process that God grows in your life. Where you're at today will not be where you're at two years from now. It's a process. I believe that God wants us to continue to grow in generosity. I would even step out this morning. I haven't talked to the elders about this. I do this a lot. I would say that God wants generosity to be a value in our church. A value that drives our mission to reach the lost and to disciple Christians to grow into maturity. I believe that God wants generosity to be a value of our church. Not just something that's written on a page, but something that's lived out in the lives of the church collectively. But I believe for generosity to become a value in any church, it has to start with the leadership. It has to start with our elders. It has to start with our staff. It has to start with our ministry team leaders and our deacons. It has to start with our leaders to lead the way and show the body of Christ, what it means to be generous and to be a generous church. So a couple answers to some questions as we close today. How, how can we grow in generosity? What can we do to continue to grow in generosity as a church? I believe we do have to start with prayer. And this isn't just a cop-out. But I believe as groups, we have to come together and start praying about this. When you meet with ministry teams in the church, whatever ministry that you're a part of, when you meet together, begin to pray about how God would use that ministry team to lead the way in generosity. Begin to pray about ways that God would use that group to lead the way in generosity. The second thing that I believe we need to do is we, we have to recognize the source. And that's something we're going to do all throughout this series. We have to recognize where our money and possessions come from. And James chapter 1 verse 17 reminds us that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Everything. I believe for the church to grow in generosity, biblical generosity, we have to have a shift in the way that we think about generosity. Uh, Psalms 24 verse 1 says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all of its people belong to him. 
So when we begin to have that shift and we begin to recognize that everything that we have is a gift from our generous God, we start to have a shift in mindset. So we start to have a shift from what's called a a scarcity mindset. This is like you have a, a pie in front of you, like a chocolate pie that looks amazing. It's my favorite pie. And you take a piece and you see someone else take a piece and all of a sudden you want to keep it to yourself because that's all you have left, right? That's that scarcity mindset. And we do that with our possessions and with our money. We have that scarcity mindset. God wants to shift that to an abundance mindset that I, I can't cook, you know, I can't. So I know that if I eat the pie, there's another pie on its way. And if I share the pie, it's going to come a lot quicker. It is. I mean, that's just part of it. If I, if I, if I share a piece with my wife and with my kids, it's going to run out and then my wife's going to make me another pie. (laughs) We have a generous host and there is unlimited resources in the church because the church is the bride of Christ and God has positioned us to lead the way in generosity for the glory of God and for the good of others. So we have to recognize the source. We're going to talk about these two mindsets a little bit more in coming weeks. Uh, Shifting from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. The last thing is this. We have to start to look for ways to lead the way in generosity. Remember, right now I'm not talking about individual giving. That certainly is part of it. You have to give individually for the church to collectively be generous. But I'm talking about the way that we serve with one another and the way we give as a church. One of the things that Shannon and I talked about this summer um, we had a long drive uh, to the mission trip that we went to, and we were just talking about ways that we could lead the way in generosity. So these conversations have started months back. And one of the things that we came up with was, we're a smaller church. We, we don't have a lot of resources, but God is, has blessed this church. Amen? He has. So we started talking about one thing that I think we do well every single year. And I can say that because I'm not really a part of the process. We do VBS well every single year. I mean, if you have, have served on our, our VBS team or you've been part of the planning, you knock it out of the park every single year. And I've seen it two years in a row, and each year it's just been awesome. So we were talking about what's one way that we could lead the way in generosity through this ministry. And we started talking about what about the, all the time that goes into um, the props that go on the stage? And the curriculum that we uh, purchase as a church. And the volunteers uh, that we gather and we equip them for an awesome week of VBS. What if we were to identify another church in our community that doesn't have a youth minister, that maybe doesn't have the budget to do a VBS, that doesn't have a lot of kids, and we were to take a part of our VBS setup so some of, the, some of the props and the curriculum and some volunteers, and we were to go and just put on a VBS for them for two days for the community, and do it for free. Just be generous and to love on them in that way. That, that kind of thinking is what I'm talking about. We, we can apply this to the area of missions. I think about a ministry and a mission of our church, a Christian Chapel Daycare. I think, I'll be honest with you, since I've been here, I've heard stories how over the years, it, it's almost become just a business that rents from us, but it's not that. It's a ministry and a mission of our church. And I believe we're called to partner with this ministry and to serve them generously. One of the things that we're going to start at the new year is uh, we're going to um, start a chapel service for the kids. 
So once a week, the, the kids are going to come over from the daycare, and they're going to meet in the auditorium here. And for 20 minutes, we're going to have worship, and then we're going to give uh, a short message and just tell the kids about Jesus. Here's one way that you can be generous. Our church can be generous. We're not asking the teachers at the chapel to lead this chapel service, or the, the teachers at, at Christian Chapel Daycare. We're asking you guys to step up and help lead the way in this. I'm asking for, for 12 volunteers that would say, you know what, I think twice or three times a year, I could put together a short message, something small, just a simple truth, and come and tell the kids about it just a couple times a year to be present and to serve these families in this way. It, it, there doesn't need to be a divide there. This is, this is a mission field right in our own backyard, amen? We gotta get excited about this church. It's right in our backyard, So we begin to look for opportunities. I want you to get together with your ministry teams and start praying and thinking about ways that we can serve. God wants this church to grow in generosity. And that's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Because when we lead the way in generosity, we live as kingdom workers. We live as kingdom workers, advancing the good news and helping people come to know Jesus. That's really the purpose behind generosity. I believe over the next few weeks, we're going to get a greater vision for this. We're going to have a passion uh, to use the resources that God has given us, not from a place of scarcity, from, uh, but from an abundance mindset. 